and welcome to WISMED On Call, a podcast from the Wisconsin Medical Society that looks at some of the top issues affecting patients and the practice of medicine in Wisconsin. I'm your host, Peter Welch, the Vice President of Strategy and Partnerships at the Society, and with me today is Dr. Arthur Hengerer, who serves as the co-lead for the Conceptual Model Work Group of the Action Collaborative for Well-Being and Resilience at the National Academy of Medicine and is a representative of the Federation of State Medical Boards to the Advisory Board to the National Board of Medical Examiners. Nothing's ever simple in, uh, in healthcare, is it, Dr. Hengerer? No. That's quite the, uh, quite the title. So I'm really glad to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Well, you're coming in from Rochester, right? Yes, tell Rochester, me, New York. Tell me a little bit about your practice. What, what's keeping you busy these days? Well, I uh, have a career that uh, has spanned uh, about 40 years now. Uh, I'm an otolaryngologist, and I chaired the department at the University of Rochester for a number of years. And uh, over the last 10 years, I've been gradually fading out of clinical (laughs) practice and actually stopped seeing patients in May because of all the other activities that I got involved in. And about 15 years ago, I got involved in regulation and served on the uh, Medical Conduct Board in New York State, chaired that. That got me interested in uh, some activities going on at the Federation of State Medical Boards and ended up on that board and chaired that board, which I finished up my responsibilities in April of this year, which led me then to the Action Collaborative at the National Academy of Medicine. And uh, all of this uh, led me to beginning to look at this whole issue of burnout and suicide Mm -hmm. and deciding to really make a commitment to that about uh, five or six years ago uh, when I was working at the Federation State Medical Boards and the issues around the uh, concern that so many of the House in Medicine felt that medical boards were responsible for burnout because Mm -hmm. of how we dealt with mental health issues on applications hmm. and so uh, we uh, I think made some strides with that. That's really impressive and that's a great example of a, of a career in full bloom let's say but I want to go back to you know your original motivation what did you want to be when you grew up? What, was your, what did you originally want to be? Well I came from uh, a family of physicians oh, like wow. many of us do. Mm-hmm. Uh, both my grandfathers, my father, wow. uncle, brother Uh, all uh, were involved in medicine and although uh, I didn't think that was the path I wanted to take Mm -hmm. about uh, junior year in college I decided that I thought yep that's what I want to do so uh, that's uh, what led to it and then just uh, got into the specialty that I selected because of just mentoring from some people while I was in medical school and the interest in that and just went from there well, that's really impressive. The, seeing those examples in your life of other physicians and other healers is, a, is a, clearly a great motivation. Well, let's jump into the issue of, of burnout. Um, tell me a little bit more about what your work entailed with the medical examining boards. How, did, how, did, how has the issue of burnout evolved over the last five to ten years? Well, burnout's not a new thing. <laughs> and uh, there's been some... Uh, writing recently that talks about, you know, what's this big deal? Burnout's been around for a long time. (laughs) and uh, It was hard for me too, yeah. yeah, (laughs) Why is it uh, 
coming forward at this point and, and why are we having to look at this, but um, it is a problem. Uh, personally, uh, I certainly had some times when I was burned out, mm -hmm. and as I look back on it, I really uh, didn't pay much attention to it and realize what was happening, um, but um, had some impacts on my life enough that it made me decide I needed to uh, commit to it once I realized what was going on. Um, and uh, I uh, had the opportunity as a result of being involved with the Federation of State and Medical Boards. Uh, those who may not be aware of this organization, it's kind of the uh, leadership uh, group of all the different 70 state medical and osteopathic boards in the United States and territories. And uh, we don't set uh, any kind of regulation, but we act as a clearinghouse for any physicians that have been disciplined uh, that we make all the state boards aware of that. Uh, we uh, have a certification process for people wanting to get licenses and we also do a lot of looking into various uh, issues that are going around in healthcare that apply to state medical board and regulation and develop guidelines and, and recommend some policies. So, that's where the burnout issue came into play in a big way because, as I said a few minutes ago, my concern around uh, everybody looking at these mental health questions that appear on some exams, and mm -hmm. I believe the state of Wisconsin, like the state of New York, doesn't ask any of those questions mm -hmm. uh, so that it doesn't have huge implications here. but. Uh, there was a recent uh, article that uh, Lottie Derby from uh, the Mayo Clinic uh, published that looked at some 39 states where they don't conform to recommended guidelines mm -hmm. uh, in the initial application or renewals. And the concern is that it's been cited that that creates a stigma for physicians, that they're afraid to go and get help. Mm -hmm. uh, for fear of the implications it can have on their licensure or state or I mean hospital credentialing committees or insurance and so forth. So we took that on and uh, were able to develop some new guidelines on questioning uh, for those states where they do ask questions and suggested they follow either the guidelines of the American Psychiatric Association or uh, what's uh, talked about in the American for Disabilities Act, which says that the only thing you really question is current impairment. Mm -hmm. You don't ask questions about past history mm -hmm. or diagnoses. So there is uh, now a recommendation that if a state board decides they're going to ask any kind of a question, that they only ask is a doctor uh, currently getting cared for some impairment so that it's not impacting his ability to care for his patients and himself safely. And we hope that states will adopt that policy. Uh, I know that as of now, four states have made changes uh, to augment or alter their uh, questions on their uh, applications. And hopefully, as we discuss it more, uh, we'll have some follow through on that. And if state boards do that, then hopefully hospital credentialing committees and others will look at their issues and follow suit 
and make a difference in in the stigma that physicians feel. We want you to be safe and healthy, and that's what it's all about. That's fascinating. Do you see what What do you see as the major hurdles for seeing this across all fifty states? Is it just sort of a stigma among physicians and the medical examining boards? Is it an issue with employers? What's going to prevent this from from a faster rollout? Well, uh, most states, it's not a legislative issue. Mm -hmm. Most states, these uh, applications are generated by the boards. Mm -hmm. So that it's a matter of them uh, being aware, looking at it, and deciding they're comfortable making the changes. So Facing a bureaucracy. Getting out there and (laughs) and talking about it. We won't have any influence on a hospital credentialing committee, Mm -hmm. but hopefully as they see this happening, that'll impact them. When talking about burnout, you say it's not new. Is it worse now than it used to be? Or are we identifying it more? Are people more open about talking about it? Uh, I think certainly we're more aware and talking about it more. And uh, one of the advantages of this big action collaborative at the National Academy of Medicine is that it's brought 60 different organizations of uh, various aspects of medicine from physician groups, hospitals, nursing, pharmacy, and uh, even the uh, vendors of the electronic health record Mm -hmm. and CMS are all now sitting down together and not being in silos anymore of Mm -hmm. looking at burnout for their own individual issue like a medical student, a resident, a nurse working in the ICU. It really is a full spectrum of healthcare, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully that's having a good impact and some good direction. The materials that we've put out, such as the conceptual model, is getting very good feedback. Mm-hmm. There's a large knowledge hub that people can go to from that model to look and read about issues and solutions. Uh, so uh, it's, it's the first step and the start, and there's lots of things that are going to happen over the next two years. There's a consensus statement uh, from another committee that's just been formed that will be putting out a report uh, at the end of next year, uh, similar to Air is Human and some other documents that the National Academy generated that usually get some traction and help. As far as is it new, is it more severe? Um, hard to know. One of the problems with burnout is that physicians often didn't recognize it or they hid the emotional impact it was having on them. Mm -hmm. And that stigma that blocked that problem of of going for help, where now it's out there and the push is to, look at go take care of yourself. And most state medical boards uh, really don't want to discipline somebody over being burned out Mm -hmm. and what we want is go get taken care of so you don't start making errors and don't end up in a disciplinary situation Mm -hmm. or developing substance abuse as a result of it because then there is problems and the why the different regulatory boards get interested in this is that we know that the higher the level of burnout, the higher the level of errors that physicians commit. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a patient safety issue and why we want doctors to take care of themselves. 
it's really encouraging to hear that you've brought so many different stakeholders together. It, it's a goal of ours at the Wisconsin Medical Society to do the same here in the state because presumably burnout has all these multiple causes that come together and confluence. So let, let's talk a little bit about some of those drivers of burnout. In your, in your opinion and experience, you know, what are those key things that are driving burnout amongst physicians? So the, uh, the issue that's been out there on the table for so long is really physicians need to learn how to become more resilient mm -hmm. in what they're dealing with. And that, that's just been the kind of track that we've heard for so long. Tough enough. <laughs> suck it up. Yep. Don't complain. Right. Don't admit any weakness. Just mm -hmm. find ways to survive. Well, there's the, the there's, yeah, there's the feeling of being strong for your patient, too. Yeah? People are scared when they come in. You want to be strong for them, yeah. right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So this whole issue then starts right in medical school. Mm. And we train ourselves to develop these characteristics that can lead to burnout. So it's a problem there. It's a problem very heavily in residency program with the stresses and the load that mm -hmm. you're under. And then by the time you're in your career, the mid-career, about 10 to 20 years mm -hmm. of practice is the highest level of burnout. Mm -hmm. And the highest level of suicide is the fifth to sixth decade of a mm -hmm. physician's life. So it's across the full spectrum of your career. And so what what do we need to think about? And, you know, resilience doesn't fix this, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, resilience is just your abilities that you find to sort of survive. And what we've discovered as more and more has come forward, only about 10% of the problem is really the individual physician mm -hmm. burning mm -hmm. out. It's really the system. Yeah. And there's two different parts to what's going on. And, and burnout is really a dilemma. It's not a problem. If it's a problem, you fix it. But when you have a dilemma, you have to come up with multiple solutions and habits and methods to deal with something that's constantly in a flow and flux and changing some. And so you have to develop these habits. And within the, the system we're talking about, you've got those personal habits you're trying to come up with to make yourself more resilient so you don't make mistakes mm -hmm. up against a system which is really working on a design which has been what was called the triple aim of cost and patient care and satisfaction mm -hmm. and until recently really left the caregiver out of this picture, the physician, the nurse, various other healthcare mm -hmm. givers. So that's 90% of the problem. So where the direction is beginning to change and focus then is what's going on with the system and what has to change within the system that will begin to make it so the physicians can then find some joy and so forth in their practice. And those issues that begin to come up are looking at the leadership. How committed are they to changing a culture within the system that the physician works in which then allows for some autonomy for the, the caregivers, uh, being the nurses who burn out as much as the physicians do, and the physicians and, and how the resources get expended, and are they involved in the decision making so they feel they have some autonomy? What's going on with the communication within a system? 
and within that, um, you know, power comes into play anytime you're dealing with relationships. And where's the power? The power is where the money is, it's where the leadership of the system you're working with is, and if you're not engaged in that, you feel isolated, you develop loneliness, you then begin to shut down, you start getting disruptive because you're very unhappy, so communication is a big issue. Uh, moving towards figuring out how to give team-based care, that's going to be a big, huge issue, and it's going to need to be generated and effective because what are we doing? We're transitioning from fee-for-service into a more value-based care and that's got to come into play. The electronic health record, you can't ignore. It's been a huge issue since the get-go and we still haven't solved that. And even though we're sitting at the table with the representatives from the major uh, software vendors, they're having trouble. They, they've created such complex problems without the involvement really of the parties using it mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, fixing this becomes very difficult and we're on the brink of having artificial intelligence added into this platform mm -hmm. and the complexity that that's going to bring and how that's going to play. So uh, these are all big factors that the system has to look at. And it's not one simple fix. It's just so complex. And there are groups that are really working at it and tackling it, but most of it is kind of in isolation in different systems. And they're doing their own little fixes, but the bridges haven't really been built yet. And, you know, the commitment really to a human-centered type of culture is not really there and, and transforming to this point. But it's the direction that the National Academy Collaborative is trying to take to come up with toolkits and concepts, the concept of the chief wellness officer mm -hmm. uh, being in a, in a uh, hospital uh, system who's there kind of trying to help guide this and sits within the C-suite leadership and uh, there's an article going to be coming out and health advisor I think it is describing here's what that role is, here's the qualities and characteristics that person has. <clears throat> it's starting to happen. There's 20 or 30 pretty good-sized systems around the country right now that are moving in that direction. Dr. Shanafeld, who was at Mayo, is now at Stanford as the Dean of Wellness and beginning to generate a lot of concepts and ideas. So uh, that's an idea that's uh, starting to be fostered. Do you think this is part of a broader national cultural trend of loneliness in the workplace and feeling of isolation, a feeling of, you know, that, that our communities aren't as sort of close-knit as they were in our parents' and grandparents' days? So I'll go back to a talk that I heard from Dr. Murthy, who was the former uh, Surgeon General. And after he left that position, he's been spending a lot of time looking at the concept of loneliness, mm -hmm. going around the country, talking not only to physicians and health leaders, but talking to people with addiction and all aspects of society. And what he talks about is the importance of loneliness, mm -hmm. and it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we all have a certain level of loneliness, which... We don't want to acknowledge, we don't share that with somebody else, mm -hmm. and that person is also lonely. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And so this whole factor of loneliness begins to build up and is creating a significant part in society of what's going on and, and the importance of sharing, communicating. And it's another factor that we didn't talk about, but within the healthcare system, what happened? Physicians no longer sit down, talk, mm -hmm. you know, share their difficult cases, the complications, the possible lawsuit that's come, so that they hold it all in and it builds up and creates huge emotional factors that before some institutions are reopening doctors' lounges in mm -hmm. the hospitals, hoping that this will attract and begin to encourage some communication. And, you know, we're very focused just on the medical side of this, but the same problems going on in other professions. The law profession mm -hmm. is, there's groups looking at this issue for themselves and uh, every other part, uh, teachers and mm -hmm. so forth. So there was a, a very interesting graph that um, I found in Tom, Tom Friedman, uh, the New York Times uh, writer who writes books and put out his last one, Thank You For Being Late. <laughs> and in there, he has a graph which I looked at and I thought, oh my gosh, this is exactly what's going on here. And he talked about how uh, Moore's Law, which, which was created by one of the founders of Intel, who way back in the early 60s, mm -hmm. as the chip was developing, computers were coming, said, you know, every 18 to 24 months, there's going to be a doubling of the capacity and speed mm -hmm. of what's going on in technology. And that's happened every two years since then to present. And so when you look at this, you see this graph showing this yeah. exponential mm -hmm. growth of technology, and it's now exceeded human adaptability to it. Mm. And so you start thinking about what happened with the electronic health record. Why did it become such a problem for uh, people now as they think about their recertification that, oh, I don't have time to worry about all this new advances that are going mm -hmm. on and try and just practice medicine. And so all of these different things, if you start thinking about it, is really, I think, some of the reason why what we're seeing in burnout today begins, you look at that graph and you start thinking, okay, you know, that's where we're starting to see this problem. We really can't keep up. And I, I read something recently that said in 2020, every 73 days, the amount of medical knowledge collected will double. <laughs> I've, I've heard a similar statistic, not that short, but I believe yeah, it. Yeah. So it seems, you know, I've heard it put before that much of the medical system is built around the technology and the facilities itself. And it sounds like we're, we're looking at a shift back to, or imagining a shift back to a human-centered, a people-centered, the, the personal interaction, the community. Is that viable with, this, with the amount of people we need to care for, with the cost structure the way as it is, with the workforce as it is, can we get back to a human-on-human -human interaction as the center of healthcare? It's a big question, I know. <laughs> well, this is where I find out if you're an optimist or a pessimist. <laughs> well, I think, like I said, there's hu huge effort going on now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not to build too much into this national collaborative that's going on. 
but there's really no other group that's really taken it on, mm -hmm. trying to do it in as scientific a way as they possibly can. But it isn't going to matter how much of this knowledge we gain if we can't decide at a leadership level that we have to start changing this culture that we're working in. Mm -hmm. Technology is there, and we have to figure out how do we use it to our advantage. You know, that's what's going to come with artificial intelligence and all this deep uh, mind learning that's going on. How do we use that in a positive way to help in all these aspects of the question you just asked? And, you know, technology does offer us huge advantages, but there has to be a human element that's in there. There's, there's a very interesting individual um, by the name of Fifi Lee, and I read about her in Wired magazine. And she was working at Google, involved in all of their AI and so forth. But she'd also been involved in the humanities. Mm -hmm. And she left Google and has gone back to Stanford to try and figure out how do we keep the human aspect in what's going on with the machine learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's boundless, but there's got to be a human connection to it. And it's not only going to be on the side of, you know, the medical providers, but, you know, the public's going to be using all this stuff. And how effective do we create these platforms and stuff to make it really work well? So there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of challenges everywhere in the world today. And new and, solutions uh, will present new challenges, right? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> are there some bright spots that you could point to, some systems that are really knocking it out of the park as far as empowering physicians and, and beating burnout? Well, I think is there certainly are some areas that are looking very hard at it. Certainly uh, uh, over in Rochester, Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic, mm -hmm. they've had a group that's really been diligently trying to do some scientific, you know, assessments. And it's one of the things that we really need to get a lot of good data. There isn't a lot of good data right now. It's one of the problems that we've looked at at the National Academy is what's the data and research we need to really pull in to give direction to a C-suite and to an institution to say, this is really where you need to go with you know, your resources and processes and priorities that you have to put together to make, you know, your program really human-centered. Mm -hmm. But there, there's groups that are asking, they want to know this. At, at the University of Rochester, where I am, uh, they, they're making a really concerted effort to try and develop program and help the physicians be healthy and get them involved in the program and mm -hmm. buy on to the leadership. But you know, I think the thing is we all get frustrated when we start talking about change that we want it to happen right away. Mm -hmm. uh, when we talk about it at, the, at NAM, we talk about, well, this is really a 10-year project. And this is really trying to fix this system for the next generation of mm -hmm. doctors so that the burnout level and suicide is dropping down, not continuing at a level it's been or increasing. So um, am I optimistic? I think so. I think the medical community really cares about this. They care about their physicians. Mm -hmm. To bring up the issue at the uh, Federation State Medical Boards on these question issues, 
we put out the biggest uh, resolution ever come before the House of Delegates, uh, the longest 25-page document with 35 different recommendations. It was unanimously passed mm. by all 70 boards that voted. So, uh, pretty you solid know, that endorsement. That something that yeah. you know people really want to see some things happening. Well, Art, we're really glad that you came here to Wisconsin to join us today. We have uh, later today a forum on physician wellness and resiliency that you'll be speaking at, and we really appreciate you coming in for that. Well, thanks again for being here, and that'll wrap up this edition of WISMED On Call. If you like what you heard, please visit our website at www.wisconsinmedicalsociety.org and look for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions or feedback, send an email to communications at wismed.org. Thank you.